You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and joining me this week are... Brendan Sinclair. Hayden Taylor. We'll be discussing some of the biggest industry headlines of the past week, including... THQ Nordic held an Ask Me Anything session on controversial forum 8chan, an image board previously blacklisted for featuring child pornography. The unveiling of HoloLens 2, which features eye-tracking sensors and double the field of view. The reveal was mired somewhat by an employee campaign urging Microsoft to cancel a $479 million contract to develop HoloLens for the U.S. military, saying, we did not sign up to build weapons. Tencent is planning its own cloud gaming service, Tencent Instant Play, which will come to PC and Android. It's set to be revealed at GDC. GOG has ended its fair pricing package for consumers to ensure that developers get a larger share of each sale, following similar moves from Steam and the Epic Games Store. The news follows reports that the company will lay off around a dozen staff due to financial trouble. Activision's Bobby Kotick and EA's Andrew Wilson were both named in a study of the 100 most overpaid CEOs in the U.S. Both earned more than 300 times the wage of their average employee. Walking Dead IP holder Skybound has canceled Overkill's The Walking Dead, the underperforming title at the center of Starbreeze's ongoing troubles, although publisher 505 Games maintains the console version is still postponed. Reggie fils is retiring, handing over control of Nintendo of America to Doug Bowser. And this week's Pokemon Direct unveiled Pokemon Sword and Shield, two new Switch games which will launch in late 2019. So I think the obvious place to start is with THQ Nordic and uh, their Ask Me Anything AMA session on 8chan. That happened on Tuesday of this week. Uh, It came kind of out of nowhere. They just dropped a tweet in the afternoon that said, we're doing an 8chan AMA and we have no idea why. Come join us. And it didn't get any better from there. No, it it was a bad scene. Right from the beginning. And like if if you looked at the initial replies to that tweet, it was very clear to a whole lot of people that this was a bad idea. And and then they, they followed through with it anyways. So I, I'm interested to know what your guys' thoughts are on kind of how oblivious THQ were because their response was like, Oh, we you know, I didn't do my due diligence, I didn't realise it's like a hub of child pornography, etc. Like, I, I mean, I personally don't buy that for a second. Um, so I'm just wondering what you guys think. I think you can maybe make the case that you weren't aware of the... Or that they weren't aware of the child pornography issue specifically. I think if they had done any kind of research whatsoever, they would have found it out pretty quickly since it, at the time... I mean, now this news is at the top, but at the time that was basically the first Google search result if you looked up HN on Google. Um, but even if, even if you didn't know about that, you still, if you were aware of 8chan's existence at all, aware enough to do an AMA on it, you had to know about, you know, all the other things on there. Um, hate speech. Uh, lots of harassment campaigns have gone on or started there. Lots. It was a Gamergate hub. I mean, it's just a long, long... I mean, and, you know, all kinds of inappropriate imagery all over the place. Like, that's not... Regardless of whether or not you know about that specific 
uh, child pornography incident, that that's not the place that you go to market your games to people, okay? Yeah, like, I think I can understand someone just being like, 8chan, I've never heard of it. Okay, sure, what, whatever, if they're actually asked to do something with it. But, like, it takes so little actual looking into it before you realize, wait a second, that's not anything we should associate with in any way, shape, or form. Um, like, the, the excuse that he didn't do due diligence is just... I mean, it's it's not like you're combing through people's tax records or something. Like, this is... This is such an obvious part of what this board is. And I'm not talking about the child pornography. I'm just talking about the, you know, kind of the the philosophy of free speech to the point of there are absolutely no standards other than, you know, what is illegal in the United States where we operate our business and we actually, you know, have no choice about adhering to that. So, like, the, the, the amount of just, you know, uh, overt embraced racism uh, in you know throughout the board the the pornography or you know hate speech or whatever like it's it's just such a huge pile of red flags of things that you don't want your brand associated with um it's it's an anonymous posting board right so like it's something the people that go there don't want to be associated with and you're putting THQ Nordic's name right up there with it. And then, so so this is actually something that, that bugged me. Like, when we posted this, there were a lot of um, replies on Twitter, people coming to 8chan's defense, basically saying, like, well, you know, it's... The headline, I think, was a uh, message board known for child pornography, was how it was described. And they're like, well, people have posted child porn on Twitter or Facebook, so why don't you include those and at the risk of engaging with a bad faith argument here i i mean like i looked through that ama and maybe 70 percent of the stuff there was just like normal ama stuff you would get of people being like hey what about the next saints row oh we don't have plans for that you should ask deep silver or whatever and then 30 percent was like oh this is this is really awful in the place I don't want to be. And the fact that like, I'm not saying that the 70% is okay because the 70% is sitting there in an environment, just stewing in this horrible, toxic crap and see no problem with it. And you don't get that if you do an AMA on Reddit, like, yeah, there are unsavory places on Reddit, but it's the difference between holding a Reddit AMA on like the, I assume there's a Reddit, a subreddit for THQ Nordic. Like, that would obviously be normal. Or hosting an AMA on, like, Kotaku in action. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, there's a difference there. This is, this is actively identifying uh, a, a group known for toxicity in, in the games industry, deciding that they are your target market, and then reaching out to them to specifically market it to these awful people where they are at their most awful. When you actually see some of the responses um, that THQ gave to some of the questions, a lot of the language they were using 
mirrors the language that you see on these message boards. Um, you know, sort of like being like scathing of, uh, you know, sock just and all things like that, you know, the social justice warriors. And it was clearly like they were very much like playing into the audience that exists on that, that message board. So any sort of denial that like, you know, oh, we, we didn't realize how bad it was. It's like you, I think they, they, they knew the audience that was there and they played into it basically to, I don't know, seek their approval, just effectively like courting just horrifying internet trolls. Yeah, I was actually, you, you said that, and I was actually about to back up and say, no, I think they, I, I changed my mind. I think they did know what they were getting into because there's there's the one that you just mentioned um, where they were saying, you know, don't try to appeal to the social justice crowd. You guys are doing fine as it is. And they're like, thanks, we'll try to stay that way. Um, but then there was the other one that I didn't see until after our story was published. Um, somebody posted some meme, um, well, for them it was a meme, I guess, of like a Knight Templar saying um, a homophobic slur. And the THQ people replied to it and said, that could be an image from our next game. Wow. Like, yeah. You, the, and then and then their, their follow-up tweet, too. 30 minutes. So they, they posted this initial tweet saying that they were doing this AMA. And immediately, like, like they didn't, a minute in, they had all these people replying to them saying, no, you don't want to do this. So they, they knew pretty quick that this was not, getting received well and 30 minutes later they they tweet the opportunity was here and we took it we got approached in a very friendly and polite manner and were assured said person shout out to mark we'll take care of the nasty stuff so here we are shout out to mark and then uh also when i reached out to philip brock um and i asked him you know why they kept the ama going after they knew people were saying that this was not a good idea he said he was overwhelmed with a plethora of different emotions <laughs> and so he just kept going you don't keep going when you're overwhelmed when you're overwhelmed it's time to stop just just so no i i i'm backpedaling on that no they they knew what they were doing this is re and no. the thing that's kind of like so insane about it as well is that like you, you see games, like especially big games companies, quite often afraid to take any sort of political stance whatsoever. Um, and then just all of a sudden, THQ Nordic just like wading into this cesspool of like alt right sort of neo Nazis, a lot of them, and like you know, and uh, I was I was going to then for a moment sort of like put some sort of like a clarifying steps. Like I'm sure they're not all bad, but. Honestly, they probably all are if they're all on HR. Like, it is a cesspit of just the worst kind of things you see on the internet. And I just, I don't understand what their, like, motive was, other than knowing that it would be controversial. Because, you know, courting controversy is, it's pretty good. You know, it gets you, you know, it gets you some headlines, ultimately. But I just feel like this is just an insane, like, poison chalice that they've started drinking and they're drinking it, and they're slowly dying, and they're just like, no, no, this is, this is fine. This is a delicious part of poison. I enjoy this greatly. So this is kind of the thing about um, the games industry, is that when we have this, you know, horrible, toxic stuff pop up, there's, there's kind of a track record here of uh, people forgetting or not caring in, in the long run, and games succeeding or failing just as they would have regardless. And I kind of... I'm frustrated, I guess, because I, I feel like 
there just aren't repercussions for for things like this and even even if uh pr dude loses his job which i i don't think he has yet um like that's that's not really what i want necessarily i i think with if your job is pr and and you've done something like this then it would certainly be justified um but like what i want is for companies to sort of acknowledge that this stuff is not acceptable in this industry and that we have a problem with a toxic element of the the customer base and like we we need to like not only not market to them but we need to actively push them out of our space because like we've we've seen throughout society kind of like how how these these uh tumors metastasize in a culture and and how they only get harder to remove and it's it's really disheartening to see not just how the industry as a whole reacted to gamergate uh months late and with the slightest of pushback we don't condone harassment which is already illegal so you know we're basically having an 8chan moral bar here that we're we're standing up for um but it's like you need to do more i I was i was in chat uh in in the group slack i was just the other day kind of like half joking that you know we should we should impose a penalty on thq nordic where Every year when their name comes up in a story on first reference, we refer to them as THQ Nordic, which notoriously held an Ask Me Anything session on <laughs> controversial forum 8chan, known for neo-Nazis and racism and child pornography. So that even if they announce like, oh, we're doing Deblob 3, THQ Nordic, which held an Ask Me Anything on child pornography and racism and Hitler, announced Deblob 3 today. It's great. I mean, isn't that deserved at this point? Because, so, when we asked the CEO uh, for comment, he just pointed us toward the PR person's statement. Um, And for the last, you know, year or so, all of the headlines and all of the, you know, leads in our stories about them have been, oh, THQ Nordic, which has acquired, like, you know, 20 other things in the last year is acquiring something else. Like, like that's kind of been the cheeky joke. Like, oh, THQ Nordic, they just acquire everything. Well, now it's not a cheeky, cheeky joke anymore. Now THQ Nordic is known for this instead. And they're going to keep being known for this. That bothers me also, because it was like the, the, the last time it was um, with Metro Exodus going Epic Game Store exclusive, right? On, on PC anyways, that was the previous THQ Nordic issue so that was oh my gosh fans are upset that the game is coming to epic game store instead of steam and then thq nordic parent company stepped in and said whoa 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 that's not us we have to we have to there's a separation here these are not the same entity that was on them and then someone comes and says like yeah let's Let's just go buddy up with racists and Nazis and people who may or may not be into child porn. And then the, 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 the response from corporate is like, 
they gave you a response. We defer to them. It's like, what are you, what are you actually distancing yourself? What is worth distancing yourself from in the games industry? Is it consumer outrage about what digital distribution platform you're, you're using or Hitler and racism and child porn? Well, now whenever you Google THQ Nordic, regardless of whether you know the difference between the parent company and the publisher, you're going to get articles about child porn. So I guess I hope they enjoy that so- association since they're so keen not to distance themselves from it. Really is great brand management, isn't it? Um, <laughs> going back briefly to what you were saying, Brendan, about how sort of like um, your sort of joking comment about sort of effectively tarring them with this brush um, indefinitely. Um, I'm just wondering if, I mean, it, I, I almost kind of like the idea of it, but I'm just wondering if there is sort of, as an industry, if you think there's anything that we can be doing more to like hold, hold companies to account like this, other than, other than just kind of pointing at it and saying, they're doing this bad thing over here. As an industry, we decide who we do business with. And the, I, I actually, I asked the ESA about this because uh, I don't normally ask them about their member companies marketing and advertising efforts but this seemed to be egregious and they declined to comment Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, Frank Cifaldi on Twitter was uh, calling for Nintendo and Microsoft and Sony to you know like is this who you want to be associated with? Basically telling them to lean on THQ and say, look, if you want your games on our platform, you can't be doing this kind of stuff. Uh, Like we are all dependent on each other in this industry in a whole bunch of different ways. And I think like that's, that's influence that you have over other people. And when you, when you, aren't willing to use that influence to try and clean up the industry. I I think it says something when you're more, you know, willing to lean on people about cross-platform play or, you know, storefront exclusivity or something like that. Like, most of that stuff, like, it's just video games, right? So most of that stuff is really kind of inconsequential. But, you know, here's a here's a breeding ground for the worst elements that the internet has to offer and the worst kind of toxicity that that really hampers a lot of gaming's possible growth beyond its current market uh like that's i think it's i think it's a bad business decision in the long term and I think it's an indefensible moral position in any term. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, why do you think it is then that we shy away from genuinely troubling issues like, you know, the alt-right and Nazism and racism in games, whereas we're all quite happy to just dive on... And I say we, I mean kind of like consumers developers like journalists just the whole the whole industry and the consumer market and everyone why we're why we're so happy to kind of like dive on you know the cross-platform issue and we're all just afraid of nazis is it just because it's kind of like a scary almost like 
impossible thing to tackle that has this horrifying history with Gamergate and stuff like that? Or do you think there's something more to it? I think part of it is that Nazis buy games too. <laughs> and I'm that you would say that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like an oversimplification because there are, like, I, I think you said earlier, everyone on 8chan is awful. Hmm. And I, I mean, I, I hope, I suspect that there's a certain percentage of people that are engaging in this kind of forum uh, and that kind of humor as, you know, ironically or as an edgelord, <laughs> as, you know, a phase that they will grow out of. Like, you know, when I was 17 and on the internet, like, I don't, not everything that I was going to represents, you know, what I believe now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the stuff that I, that I enjoyed at the time, like I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that was really just kind of like corrosive and caustic to, you know, the soul. It was, it was pretty rotten stuff. And like, I, I believe that, that people can grow and change and develop and kind of recognize like, oh, that was, you know, not great. So you're not just talking about like Nazis buy games. You're talking about Nazis and Nazi adjacent people and edge lords and anyone that has, you know, gotten upset about political correctness, you know, or people are upset at my favorite South Park episode for whatever. And I don't agree with them, so I think that they're unreasonable, blah, 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 blah. And like cracking down on 8chan and you know, distancing yourself from THQ Nordic as a result of this, it, it not only risks ticking off people that frequent 8chan, but it also kind of has a possible downside with the, you know, adjacent crowds or, um, you know, people that could potentially wind up there in the future. There's like a ripple effect, too, to people who maybe aren't specifically on 8chan, but who see, you know, the fallout from that come up on Twitter or whatever other, you know, place they frequent, maybe Reddit. And maybe they themselves aren't, you know, as extreme as the people who are actively posting on 8chan, but maybe they just aren't super in tune with what's going on in the games industry. And maybe they bought into the idea that Gamergate was actually about ethics and journalism. And there is some sort of corruption and they see something like this and they're like, oh, well, this is just... Another example of that, and then they get mad, and it just, like, it, it ripples out to kind of a, I don't really want to say a centrist group, but, you know, c- kind of another group of people who are susceptible to that, even if they may not actually be as extreme. The other thing I was going to mention, uh, and it, there's a very timely article going up on the site uh, by Hayden about um, the the <laughs> influence of Nazi aesthetic on video games. And, like, to to push back on this severely, I think the industry would have to do some soul-searching and some accounting and, and kind of figure out, like, oh, okay, well, we have created a, a medium here which, even if it does not solicit, um, you know, hatred and toxic people, and in, you know, the case of THQ's AMA, it, it kind of did, but even if it doesn't actively solicit that on the regular, it is a place that is compatible 
with those people. And it would require the games industry to look at the culture that it has built over decades through the products that it produces, through the marketing that it does to promote those products, and sort of reckon with that and admit that maybe not all of that has been good or healthy. It, 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 it requires admitting some wrongdoing. And that's really difficult for individuals to do. But when you ask for a company, when you ask for an entire industry to do it, where everyone has plausible deniability as an individual, where everyone can say, like, oh, I just did this. You know, all these other people had to do all this other stuff for anything bad to happen. Like, I, I think that's where you get um, a real uphill battle when it comes to, to you know, creating the, the traction to push back on this. Admitting that the things you did may have commit may have uh, contributed in some small way to things like harassment campaigns and really dangerous political movements is not a good marketing campaign. All right, to move on to something a little more cheerful after all that uh the the news got a little more optimistic later this week uh when the nintendo direct po- well i guess it was more of a pokemon direct dropped it was a seven minute long um to that time limit reveal of the pokemon games that are coming out on nintendo switch later this year pokemon sword and pokemon shield we saw the three new starter pokemon a little bit of the environment and just some kind of running around and do either of you have feelings about okay, that? Okay, buckle up, because I, I, it's time for some game theory. I really got to rant about this one. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that's... No, I don't. <laughs> Wait, what? You're, what? Did you just trick, did you just trick me? I, I may have, I'm sorry. I was ready for your hot takes on Pokemon, come yeah, on! You had me as well there, Brandon. <laughs> they look cute, that's my hot take. I mean, I, I have. I'll, I'll, I'll be. I'll pick the starter as a, the water one as my starter. Yeah, same here. You're gonna pick anxiety yeah, lizard. Sobble? Is that it? <laughs> it so, Sobble speaks to me on a very deep level. Well, I am tremendously excited about these, and I could talk all day, but I won't because there are other things to talk about. But I, I think they look. I think they look great, and there really wasn't any way they were going to disappoint me. I'm kind of uncritical about Pokemon yeah. in general. Um, I. I think the biggest criticisms I've seen are that they did... So with Pokemon Let's Go, they moved to a system where they had Pokemon on the overworld instead of random encounters. And that was praised pretty much universally as maybe one of the biggest and best changes that they've made to the Pokemon series ever. I mean, their games are pretty formulaic. They don't change very much. It's, you know, random encounters. You catch Pokemon, you fight gyms, you become the champion. There's a little bit of endgame and you're done. That's Pokemon. And having them on the overworld like that really changed the focus from a battling and gaining experience style kind of game to a capturing and collecting kind of thing more along the lines of Pokemon Go. And people really loved that. Um, it, it just changed the whole flow of the game. And they seem to have gone back to random encounters. And a lot of people are disappointed by that. I, I'm not surprised because it seems like this game was in development bef- like far before Pokemon Let's Go came out. And they really had no way of knowing how that system was going to be received. 
But, you know, it is kind of disappointing. They they have this thing that they do, Game Freak does, where they'll introduce something that makes everybody really excited in one generation. Like, uh, Generation 2 had two regions, uh, Johto and Kanto. Um, generation 3 had uh, almost dynamic <laughs> weather. It was, it, it, was about, it was about as much as you could have on the Game Boy Advance, but it it did have weather that changed kind of randomly and that was really really cool um there there have been a lot of features like that that they've introduced and people have loved a uh, following pokemon in heart gold and soul silver um that they didn't get rid of in the next generation and it's a, it's very weird to do that to introduce a feature that everybody just universally praises and then just can it next time you make a game i i've never understood that it is it is baffling it would make it exponentially more complicated with every new one that you add right like it's hard enough balancing everything as it is, and then when you do the weather feature, that's another big thing. And then if you also have time of day significantly impact the the battles or how much sleep the Pokemon get. Sure, but <laughs> like I I have always wanted to just be followed around by, you know, an adorable little Scyther with his big sword hands. Um, and it's just it's never been in any of the games that I've played, and it's always it's always broken my heart to not have a little a little pet scyther wandering around everywhere I go. Um, it's in Let's Go. I haven't played Let's Go, um, although that does make me want to play it a little bit more. Um, I, th- I think with the with the new one, Sword and Shield, like like Nintendo so far with all of their sort of major first party releases although i don't know would you describe sword and shield as like second party because it's technically game freak but you know i let's say they're big like flagship titles like yeah, zelda yeah. mario uh, smash bros uh, they've either kind of completely redefined what that game is or they have doubled down tripled down and then quadrupled down on what that game has always been so like smash bros is just like here is everything smash bros has ever been just in one game, whereas Zelda just completely like rewrote the book for what a Zelda game could be. So I feel like it's either gonna kind of go one or two ways. Um, I, I feel like for them to just deliver like another Pokemon game, as much as I love just another Pokemon game, I mean I'm sure it'll be enough in terms of sales. But I I wonder if I'm personally getting to the point now where maybe it's not quite enough to. For it to just be like, here's a hundred new Pokemon and a new region, especially like a, a region inspired by the UK, which is just like a grey, depressing landscape of like industry and rain. Like, I I don't want to sort of escape to the fancy world of Pokemon and just have to be in Britain. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I know you're not alone in feeling that way. Um, just you know, being a person who is on the internet who reads people talking about Pokemon a lot—that's a pretty—that's <laughs> a pretty common sentiment. But it doesn't seem to be enough, a common enough sentiment to get them to change because they have this whole new generation of players coming in who were brought in by Pokemon Go. I mean, Pokemon Go did so much to revitalize this franchise and get parents to bring their kids in and now the kids are asking for nintendo switches for christmas and getting them and getting their new pokemon game so i i I mean i am kind of disappointed i i'm not in the camp of people who you know are ridiculously asking game freak to turn pokemon into just this massive open world mmo with like five (laughs) regions and you know all this other ridiculous and every pokemon and all this other ridiculous stuff i mean i don't that that's like not 
that, that's not reasonable in any way whatsoever. But, you know, I do, I do kind of hope, and I, I hope this every generation, and it's probably a misplaced hope, but maybe now that they're on a console, maybe it's a little more of a real hope. I keep hoping they'll... They'll just do something to innovate, especially after you beat the gems and get into the end game. I'm just hoping there's something else to do that's new and exciting that isn't just battling people online. Um, I, I don't know what that would be. I don't know what I want from this series. I'm, I'm going to play it. I'm going to love it no matter what. But I'm just I, I'm really interested to see if they take this as an opportunity to kind of reach out to the older fans who are maybe getting burnt out or if we're just such a small enough demographic that they just don't care and are going to keep making money and money and money. I mean, the thing is, like, the, the online battling is one of the things that keeps Pokemon kind of alive long after release, um, sort of a bit like Smash Bros. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's... That's the thing that kept me playing from Gen Five sort of so obsessively is because the like the new competitive Pokemon was just so brilliant. Um, I just loved all like the the new like insane items and abilities and things like that, and they really kind of like freshened up the actual competitive battling. So maybe if they do something like that, that might be enough for me um, because the like sort of competitive battling in like Gen Six and Seven got a bit a bit unwieldy um, and kind of a bit cumbersome so but I, I my main concern is they will probably like it, it suffered from a bit of like spectacle creep and feature creep um, competitive wise and my kind of one of my main concerns is like they're it's just gonna be more of that and that's not that's gonna sort of give the game quite a short tail for me like I'll pick it up I'll play the sort of the main campaign and then I, I won't be sort of compelled to go back to it if they just double down on all of the uh, the excessive like Z moves and mega revolutions and things like that and I can't really imagine them doing anything different it's interesting to hear you say that because I've always been that's one thing I've always been very impressed with with Pokemon games is that they've managed to appeal to very casual like I think of them as a casual game I play through the campaign and then I want to have more adventures after that I don't want to play online but they have this robust competitive scene like these complex meta games and you know all the like people debate strategies and you know teams and move sets and all these other it's, it's like crazy complicated and there are so few games out there that mm -hmm. can hold that balance of you know casual players and then really complex meaty meta games so that's that's super interesting to me so from a trade side point of view, um, since we didn't know anything about Pokemon Sword and Shield before, now we know just a little bit, uh, what, what do you guys think about the, the game's commercial prospects? Like, is this going to be a massive, massive title for the Switch? Is it bigger than what you were expecting before? Or do you think it's kind of a letdown? I mean, I think this will absolutely sell holiday switches. Um, their release date for Pokemon games, I mean, they said late 2019. That's going to be mid-November. I, I have no insider information whatsoever, but I guarantee it'll be sometime around like November 18th or 19th, because that's what it's been like every single year. It's right before Black Friday. Um, Pokemon is just, it, it's just a ridiculously huge name. And they're, they're trying, they're trying to sell more switches. And if, if they don't have Mario and they don't have Zelda, the holiday Pokemon is the name to do it. I don't... I mean, Pokemon Let's Go, I think, appealed to a lot of people. Um, but I think if you missed Pokemon Let's Go because it didn't quite catch your interest, this is going to be it. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I am with it. Like, I missed Pokemon Let's Go because it wasn't... It didn't have, like, say, that more... So the online competitive battling aspect in quite the way that appeals to me. 
Um, and I, I don't. I can't see it being anything other than a huge success. Really, it's it's the the only. It's it's kind of like the last big name, except for maybe Metroid, that's still missing from Animal the Crossing. Uh, Animal Crossing, yeah, okay, that's a very good point. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never played Animal Crossing, so it's uh, it's not not my sort of realm. But it's it's one of the few last big names missing from the Switch to have like a fully fledged release. Um, and I feel like Nintendo has been quite deliberate trying to space those out, except for when they released like Mario and Zelda within sort of a few months of each other, in, like the first year. But actually, I suppose there was Mario was towards the end of the year, wasn't it? But I saw the point I'm getting at is like they've they've positioned a lot of these big releases quite neatly throughout the year to have a constant stream of like here's the next big game that everyone is waiting for. So I feel like this is very is a very deliberate move that they've sort of calculated based on kind of how they've seen the Switch perform and uh, kind of what they need to do in order to keep on selling Switches. So, and like you say, it'll be coming out just, just ahead of Christmas, which is the perfect time to be selling Switches. I cannot imagine there'll be a price reduction by then. They seem to have been pretty stoic on that front, like unwilling to really um, shift the price down at all. But There's that rumor going around that they might be doing, some, and this is just a rumor, but people have been saying they're going to do some sort of like smaller version of the switch maybe i don't know mm. like a because the 3d the 3ds is it is done they won't say it but it i, I think it's yeah. done after kirby's epic whatever um but yeah i mean that 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 would actually be a really good opportunity for them because again you know they're trying to get the younger kids on board and a cheaper i don't I don't know, like a smaller switch, but like a, a less featurey switch. I have no, I have no idea what that would entail. But so, some kind of cheaper version of the switch would go very nicely with a Pokemon game. Well, that's that's very much like Nintendo's sort of approach, whereas like PlayStation and Xbox kind of go bigger, more powerful. Nintendo goes sort of like less features, more affordable. So I I can see perhaps something like that. Isn't um Japan getting or recently got a switch sold without the dock? Yeah. Um, which is like that's quite a neat idea, you know. That chops a chops a bit of the price point off. So they, I could see them possibly doing maybe bringing that to the West, perhaps, um, just making it just that little bit more affordable. Um, I'm a little skeptical about a, a smaller redesign of the Switch, just because, like the, the Joy Cons, I don't think they're going to shrink those much so you're either talking about having the standard joy con size and a weird smaller thing in between which doesn't help anyone or kind of like a fused you know no detachable joy cons which creates a whole bunch of compatibility issues with a lot of games because even even games that kind of work just fine in normal switch mode have features that sort of take advantage of or rely on the joy cons so it's I mean, Nintendo has been willing to do that before, like with um, dropping features like 3D on the 2DS, yeah. but... I mean, even like first-party Nintendo games like Mario Odyssey has aspects of uh, like motion controls that you can't switch off. Um, and the only way to do it is using motion controls, so that would require a bit of a rethink. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. They're probably not going to remove that aspect of it. And I think also like the Joy-Cons... Um, they they are part of what makes the switch so good. Like they are incredibly precise for um, like motion controls in general. Like I don't know if you played One Two Switch, which is basically just a tech demo. <laughs> um, but that really like demonstrates actually how precise those controllers are. Um, and I think to kind of remove that as a feature in any way, shape, or form really kind of undermines one of the key key kind of selling points of the switch. 
And like, as for shrinking the Joy Cons, like that's yeah, sure. those things are already super tiny, and doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of wasted space in there either. No. Yeah, I, I mean that's just like something that's been floated. I don't, I don't know what is <clears throat> true and what is not. Um, but I mean, even if they did some I mean, sort of larger version of it and dropped the price on this one, I don't know. But some some kind of adjustment to the pricing would go well with Pokemon, especially if there was some shift in marketing to try to translate because they they've been saying you know the 3ds or the 2ds are the devices for the kids and then you kind of grow up and you graduate to the switch but some kind of way to translate all those kids as they stop releasing games to the 3ds to the switch like that would go really well with a pokemon release standalone switch with uh 150 different themed docks available separately and then kids have to catch them all With that, that is all the time we have for this week. You can find our previous episodes of the podcast on all podcasting platforms. We are multi-platform. In the meantime, you can find all of the news, insight, and industry analysis for the world of video games at gamesindustry.biz. Until next time, thanks! I can't believe you edited out my Pokemon rant.